Thank you so much, worship team. And thank you, church. Uh, we love bringing some new hymns and spiritual songs to worship on Sunday morning. We love the joy of the Lord. We love the work that he is doing in this church. I uh, have been talking to a few church planters and pastors and, and uh, friends in my, uh, in my uh, program, my doctoral program at Southeastern. And I told them we had 30 people for Easter worship on Sunday morning. And I had several church planters like, are you serious? That is awesome. Praise God for that. You know how long it took us to get to that point? I'm like, hey, you know what? All right. The Lord's keeping us prayerful and dependent on him. That 30, I hope that encouraged you. Um, because a good number of those people we are discipling, we are sharing Christ with. They're on the verge of receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they are responsive to those prompts, to those conversations. So church, I want to commend you. The job that you are doing, being faithful, sowing those seeds, opening up your home, dusting off the Bibles and really getting to know the words, spending those moments on your knees in prayer. God is doing a mighty work and it begins right here in our heart. And this morning we get to come back to Philippians, the series that we've been enjoying and studying this letter that you could read in 15 minutes and yet meditate on for a lifetime the Lord takes us to Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9. And I want to invite you to turn there, even if it's on your phone. Don't take my word for it. I want you to read the words of Christ for yourself. If you need worship supplies um, or place to take notes, if you'll grab a weekly update off that table or there's pens back there to take some notes, we certainly invite you to track along and think on these things deeply with us. When we last looked at Philippians, Pastor Dennis taught us, and we should rejoice in the Lord how often? Always. And again, Paul says, I say rejoice. See, I knew you were paying attention. That's great. And I know you pay attention when I teach too. Not just when Pastor Dennis is here. I'm very grateful for his teaching ministry and his giftedness. But isn't it interesting that right after Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord always, then he transitions and talks about anxiety and cares and worries why do you think the apostle paul does that because he knows that few things will rob us of the blessings and the, the the consequences of enjoying the presence of god in our daily lives than worry caring about things that are too great for us to understand or spending too much time thinking about what might happen tomorrow and society as well struggles with anxiety along with us, don't they? Everyone's talking about mental health these days. Everyone. You look at the experts, you look at the symptoms, the devastating impact that anxiety can have on our health. It's one of the leading causes of, of poor health. Of course, fast food is, is, a, uh, is an issue as well. But let's focus on anxiety this morning. We're not talking about gluttony today. Here's just some of the symptoms from anxiety. High blood pressure, heart disease. Insomnia, heart attacks, strokes, depression, fatigue, even wrinkling in your skin. No one likes wrinkling in your skin, so just stop worrying, okay? There you go. Okay, well, it's more than that, but that is one of the symptoms, and of course, death as well, which we will all die, but premature death because of worry is something I think we all would like to avoid. In fact, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says this is a critical public health issue, especially on the heels of the COVID-19 pandemic. The CDC reports that between August 2020 and February 2021, 
not even that long of a time period, half of a year, the percentage of adults exhibiting symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorder rose from 36% to 41.5%. There's an increase in depression in adults. So not just symptoms of anxiety, but actual depression, clinical depression, rose from 6.6% to 21% of adults. That's over a 12 month span. Pre-pandemic, only 6.6% of adults reported symptoms of depression. And then that brings us to our adolescents, our students, the future of our country, of our world, of our church, and the numbers are off the chart. I, I, could, I could throw out a you know, 180% increase. I could throw these, but it just blows your mind. It staggers your mind. It's off the chart. And suicide is the second leading cause of death in teenagers and young adults. Suicide. Not riding on a bicycle and fell on the street or... No, it's suicide. And there's a connection, of course, with what's going on in the world, social media, the fact that they're being inundated with problems that are too heavy for them to handle because we adults haven't figured it out, but they see it all day long on their phone. So we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. But I think it's safe to say we've got a stress problem. We've got an anxiety problem. We do. It's connected. And the world experts say... Get this, there's nothing we can do to eradicate that problem, but we can help you manage your stress. So here, here's, a, here's some stress balls and salts for your bathtub. Or, uh, you know, take, get some therapy or some me time. Maybe take a vacation. We were watching Shark Tank the other day, which is where they pitch business ideas to these billionaires and try to get their investment money. And here's this idea brought forward that you can have meditation in a can. It's this drink you know, with ginseng and all these you know, other herbal remedies, and they call it meditation in a can, basically. And, and the shark said, you're not for real, right? We know how hard it is to deal with stress. Drinking that can is not going to do it. So not one shark invested in it, and that was wise. I don't know how that's going to work. Did you know... That God cares about our worry. God cares about the burdens that are weighing on your mind and your heart. And that are hurting your family. That are holding you back from experiencing that fullness of joy. He knows what a thief anxiety is. And he promises to give us what the world cannot. Peace. God promises peace. And we're about to read from Philippians 4 verse 6 through 9. Where God tells us. Believers can overcome anxiety with the peace of God. We can overcome anxiety with the peace of God. I'm so excited to get this word with you. Look at verse 6. Actually, let's, let's go back up to the end of verse 5. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication... With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So here's how Paul tells us believers can overcome anxiety with the peace of God. First, stop worrying. Second, start praying. And third, walk in the peace of Christ. Sounds too simple, doesn't it? Well, let's dig in and see what he means here. First of all, stop worrying. Do not be anxious about anything. So let's talk about anxiety. Let's talk about this biblical term anxiety. And I know there's a whole lot of different thought in depression, anxiety, worry. The Bible actually has much to say about our anxieties, fear, and worry. And the Bible is rarely, and I would, I dare say, never dismissive of those things. God is an understanding God. He understands the trouble and the struggle we go through. It was his design that we wouldn't go through this, that we would live in his perfect creation. So he gets it. It's a problem. You can look at the life of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, who despairs of his life. He's worried that he's going to be killed, and he just flat up gives up and runs away from his ministry, almost dies, but God feeds him and nurses and brings him back. You can look at David. How many Psalms does David talk about the weight of, of the worries on his mind and his anxiety? Psalm 38, 18, he says, I confess my sin, Lord. I am sorry. I am anxious over my sin. Now that I would say is a proper response. We should be concerned about the consequence of our sin, but, but that's where it talks about. David struggled with anxiety. Esther, chapter four, verse four, she is greatly anxious that her people are going to be wiped out. In Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Job, in Job chapter 2, has a turmoil going on in his life. He's lost everything. He's anxious about it. In Luke chapter 10, Martha is very anxious about what's going on in her house. Jesus is there. Her sister's there. All these people are coming in to hear Jesus, and her house is a wreck. So she's running around, cooking and cleaning. And what is Mary doing? She's just sitting at Jesus' feet, listening. And Martha is spazzing out. And, and I think we all understand, we'd be in a similar position. Mary, help out a little bit. Jesus says, Martha, you are anxious about many things, aren't you? He acknowledges that. And then also Timothy. Actually, in Philippians. We read this a couple weeks ago. Philippians 2, verse 20 that word is used, Timothy was anxious about the church at Philippi. He's concerned. How are they doing? I want to check on them. I want to go to them. I think we would all agree that is not a sinful thing, to be concerned how a church is doing. So we acknowledge here that the Philippians struggled with anxiety like we do. You know, what's coming up? What's, what's going to happen? And take, leave it to the man who's in prison, on trial for his life, could be executed, and, and based on the time in this letter, either he was or, or that would be his next imprisonment, and he says, don't be anxious about anything. Okay, where are you going with this, Paul? Because a lot of us struggle with anxiety. Are you, are you minimizing our concern? 
Are you saying parents should not be anxious if their kid's about to cross the street and get hit by a car? Okay, no, that's not what he's saying here with this word anxious. In this context, he uses the word merimnao. And that has the context of we're being anxious about things beforehand. We're getting them out of order. It's not like, hey, I have a problem in here. I need to address it. Like a parent who would pull their child out of the road. Their heart rate would quicken. That's a natural response, a fearful response to protect. It's a good thing. If someone comes after you trying to attack you and take your life, your body will kick in. The adrenaline will kick in. There will be some anxiousness so that you will protect yourself. But this word, this is why we do not worry about anything because this is, I'm sitting here and I'm even in church right now. Instead of being able to worship Jesus, I'm focused on what's happening tomorrow. And I'm feeling those feelings of anxiousness. And I'm not trusting the Lord to guide me to what's to come. I am worrying beforehand. Or I'm overly concerned. Not just, okay, I'm concerned I need to do something about it. Now I'm just, I worry, worry, worry. What's gonna, what are they going to say? And what are they going to think? And now I'm sick. Now I'm struggling with my sleep. You see what I'm saying? This is what Paul is saying. He says, I'm not losing sleep at night wondering what's going to happen to me at the hand of the Roman guards. So he's not talking about clinical depression. He's not talking about PTSD. He's not talking about a panic attack that happens because of someone's uh, abuse or trauma from their background. I want to say as your pastor, the Bible speaks to all matters of life, even anxiety. But there are some things that even Pastor Dennis and I will encourage you. You need some professional help with this matter. You need to see a professional counselor who can help you go deeper into these things. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He says you are worried, and you're worried about even the most basic things. He's referencing Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. If you turn to Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, this is the sermon. <laughs> this is... The life of a Christian we're supposed to live. And what does Jesus say? Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Don't be anxious about your health or your clothing, your food. Look at the birds. Do the birds fly around in anxiety all the time? No, they chirp, they sing, they wake you up in the morning with their beautiful song. And they go out and they look for some worms and they go and feed their young ones and then they go and do it all over again. The birds are at peace. They trust their maker and creator. So why are you anxious saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Jesus is saying, don't worry about tomorrow and be overly concerned so that it's affecting your joy today. If that's happening, that is sin. And we need to bring that to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. Stop it. I, this runaway train in my mind, this thought train, it's not coming back. I need your help reining it in. I need your help sleeping tonight. I need to bring this burden before you. Do we think that the God who moved heaven and earth to save us? now is unable to walk us through our day-to-day -day life to help us with our finances to help us with our job 
and our family drama or that conflict or squabble you have with somebody. If I worry, it's because I'm overthinking this and I'm trying to resolve things in my own strength or my own thoughts or my own plans, and I'm not leaving it in the hand of God. That's why it's such a big deal. And that's why you won't have joy as long as you're trying to be the one in control of your future. So stop worrying. I want to look, I want to cause us to draw in and look in a zoomed in close up on Jesus when he's about to go to the cross and he knows he's going to be nailed to the cross. He knows he's going to be betrayed and deserted by his best friends. He's going to be condemned for crimes. He did not. Well, actually, he won't be condemned. He'll be declared innocent. He'll still go to the cross. So an unjust trial. And more than that, he's going to have the cup of God's wrath poured out on him and on um, all of the sin that he carries on his shoulders for our sakes. And Matthew 26, 37 says that Jesus was distressed. Jesus was troubled. So he sympathizes with our, our physical um, effects of living in this fallen world and knowing that he is going to go to the cross. And he suffered from a condition called hematidrosis. And that's a condition where your capillary blood vessels that feed your sweat glands rupture. And so it causes some blood to get into your, your sweat glands. So Jesus is sweating blood here because of the weight of the burden that he's carrying. But he's not sinning. He's not overly anxious about what's to come. He takes it to the Father. He says, if there's any other way, Father, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Even as his body is splitting under the agony he's under, his spirit is fully conformed to the Father's will. Oh, that's something that I don't do. <laughs> I cannot do like Jesus, but with Jesus' help, I can come to the Father in that way as well. And I want to encourage you all. Jesus understands anxiety. He, understand, he understands rather the concerns of this world. But we need to follow the example of our Savior and say, I can leave my burdens in the Father's hand. Jesus entrusted his life to the Father's hand. I can as well. I can take my concerns to the Father. And in his hardest moments, Jesus refused to allow himself to be paralyzed with worry Remember, he tells his disciples, let's get up and go. My betrayer's here. Okay, so he's not paralyzed by his worry. And he is not overly concerned with what's to come. He's entrusting his soul to the Father. Paul says, you can do the same. You have the same spirit of God inside of you. You don't have to be anxious for tomorrow. So stop worrying and start praying. He says, but in everything... Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So Paul understands the human condition very well. And I think we do too. Because when we're worried about something, where do we tend to go? Our first reaction is to look either inward or outward. Inward. I'm worried, worried, worried. I'm overthinking. How am I going to do this? How are we going to afford this? What's going to happen? We just lost this client. Oh, no. 
Or we look outwards and we, we cast that burden on our friend. Hey, what do you think I should do? Oh uh, man, I'm stressing out. You gotta, you gotta help calm me down. Or we blow up at somebody. We take that anxiety and we cast it on somebody else. Maybe you leash, uh, unleash some frustration on a coworker or a neighbor or a family member because you are not in control in your worry and you're giving your concerns to the Lord. So now it's someone else's burden to bear. How many of you know somebody, you don't got to point fingers, how many know somebody that blows up on other people to relieve their stress and then they come back later and say, I'm sorry, I don't know why I did that. And you're all thinking, I know I did that. It's an unhealthy approach to stress. Paul says, don't go outwards and don't look inwards. Go upwards. The most productive thing you can do is go to the Lord for help. He uses three terms for prayer. Did you catch that? It says prayer. So communication with God, talking with God. He also says supplication and thanksgiving. All of those interactions are vertical. We're asking God for help. We're thanking God for what he has done. We're looking back on his promises and said, yep, God's met my needs every day up to this point. God, I know you'll help me again. Supplication is a petition. Because Jesus is king, right? We celebrated Easter Sunday last week. Is Jesus still risen and on the throne and ascended? Yes. So when we have needs, where should we take them? To the throne of the one who's fully in control of everything. He knows what burdens you're facing. He knows what trials you're going through. In fact, it's a part of his sovereign will. I'm not saying he is afflicting you. He's certainly not punishing you if you are a child of God. But he does allow trials to come into our life so that we will lean on him. We will depend on him for our strength. That's why we've got to remember the Lord is near. He cares about what you're going through today. Might not feel like it sometimes, but he does. Why should we bring everything to God? Because the God of the universe holds everything together. Whether the animal kingdom, the kingdoms and nations of this world, the people, the groups, the geographical boundaries, churches, families, individuals. And this is the God who promises us in Romans 8, 28, all things will work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God will work it all out for our good and his glory. He's already promised that. Will we now believe that and bring our needs to him instead of holding on to those burdens ourselves? We've got 24-7 access. What's keeping us? The rhetorical answer is nothing. So let your request be made known to him. Now, this isn't Paul saying, well, God has no idea what's going on in your life. You should probably knock on heaven's door and say, God, do you see me? Do you see what's going on here? I, I need to clue you in because maybe you've been watching football or something. I've got to help you see this. No. Jesus says in Matthew 6, your heavenly father knows all of your needs. He says, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. 
So more likely what Paul is telling us here is what 1 Peter 5, 7 says. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Why do we lay all of our needs at his feet? Uh, why, why do we let our requests be made known to him? It's for our sake. God's going to do what he's going to do. But in the act of naming my stress and burden and laying it at the Father's feet, it's an act of faith saying, Father, show me what you want to do. Take my hands off the wheel. It's for us. It's such a freeing moment when I can give up control and give it to God. So this isn't like, oh, just well wishes or empty your mind and meditate. It is an act of faith. Prayer is, God, I need you to act. I'm asking you to act. I'm casting my burden on you because you say you care, and I believe you. Oswald Chambers says, how many times do we use prayer as a last defense or, or last resort? But God intends for prayer to be our first line of defense. God wants to intercept all of those worries and fears before the thought train gets out of control, before you start taking on other people, before you lose your sleep, go to the Father. Lay it on Him. Do you think His shoulders are big enough to carry it? I think so. I know so. God cares. And all you got to do is look at the world to see the opposite reaction. Save your prayers. Thoughts and prayers, please. Start passing legislation. Start kicking those judges off the bench. Start acting. Start protesting. Start marching. Prayer. What does that do? Well, they're lost. <laughs> what does prayer do, church? Prayer is our dependence on God and on his will. To act and intervene and to give us peace in our day-to-day -day life. We pray in everything. In every situation. There's nothing we'll encounter in this life that's too hard for God. That doesn't mean that God removes us from the storm of this life. But it's like the song we sang at the beginning. God is our lighthouse. As we go through the stormy seas, where do we look? Where's our security? You look to the lighthouse. He's our peace in the storm. Right now, I have a friend serving as an interim missionary, serving for a couple of years in the country of Sudan. And there's been civil war fighting breaking out in Sudan. Her life is in danger. She and her Samaritan purse friends, they are sheltering in place. They can't move. They can't leave the country. They're waiting to see what's going to happen. Right now, that's going on in Sudan. And she can have peace in the midst of that storm. Not only can she, I'm telling you she does. Because of her faith in the Lord. And I'm worried about that next credit card payment or, or you know, who's, who, how, how am I going to cut my grass or, you know, my grass is dying because of the weather. Really puts things in perspective. But no matter what your storm is this morning, I've got the same offer for you. God will be your peace in the storm. He will overcome your anxiety because it's the peace of God, not the peace of Josh Comus 
or the peace of Living Hope Church or the peace of fill in the blank. It's the peace of God and it surpasses all understanding. I can't explain to you what's going to happen when you give that burden to God. But I know not only is he able to meet your need in that time of crisis, but he can also open doors. He will conquer enemies. He will build up. He will tear down the proud. He will make it so productive that one minute of prayer will accomplish more than 50 years of worry. And 50 years of worry, goodness, that's going to send you to the grave early. What would one minute of prayer accomplish? Five. Or we do what Paul says to pray without ceasing. Throughout the day, we take things to the Father in prayer. What a life change. And he promises that the peace of God will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word keep is a military term. It's about guards, like a detachment of soldiers. Imagine the Holy Spirit is God's detachment to us to guard our mind and guard our heart. You are secure. Child, you are loved. You are right where you need to be. You are in the center of my hand. You're in the center of my plan. Don't worry. Bring your needs to me. I'll guard you. And God does an amazing job of protecting his children. So I don't know about you, but when I hear this, and I think about my own anxiety, and how many things I worry about, even the past couple weeks, I need this. I need this badly. And if you're sitting here and you think, I don't really struggle with anxiety. How much do you concern yourself with the affairs of others? Maybe you're not worried about your stuff. Maybe you're worried about everyone else's stuff. Or, you know, how well is someone, is that person really doing what they should be doing? And anxiety manifests itself in a lot of different ways. But I love the story I heard about a man who realized he was trying to be general manager of his own life. And he was tired of all the anxiety and the struggles that came with it. So here's what he did. He couldn't take it anymore. Nothing to prove anyways. So he got a piece of paper and he wrote down on that blank piece of paper, Dear God, effective immediately, I hereby resign my position as general manager of my life. I think we all need to do that, don't we? Dear God. And he's just laughing the whole time. Yeah, when, when are we going to figure it out? You're not a good general manager. You don't even know what you need. I know what you need and you haven't even asked yet. Give it to God. Give up control of your life. You can't keep it anyways. But he can keep it. So wave the white flag. And enter into the joy of Jesus in your day-to-day -day life. Craig Rochelle, a well-known pastor, says it this way. God can do way more with your surrender than he can with your control. So, right there in your seat. Even as you hear me speaking the word, you can respond to God in prayer. And say, God, I, I'm sorry. I give you control. I've made a mess of things. You can iron out my, my mind and my path. Here's the final thing I'll say and I'll be done. Paul tells us, walk in the peace of Christ. Walk in that peace. You are called to live a life of peace. You are not called to live a life overburdened with anxiety, paralyzed with fear. That's not what God has called his children to do. We're not just hunkered down in a bunker somewhere waiting for the end times to be here and for Jesus to return on a white horse. And, oh my goodness, I'm just so terrified of everything going on. No, no, no. He says, finally, brothers, this is where it was all headed. 
Leave the anxiety. Walk in peace. You can think and live differently. He says, think on these things or dwell on these things. Instead of worrying about what might be, and, and, and one leading doctor, what was his name? A leading psychologist, Dr. Robert Leahy, says that we spend 85% of our time worrying about things that are never going to happen anyways. So Paul says, leave that behind and dwell on things that are true. Things that are good. Things that are beautiful. Excellent. Worthy of praise. Commendable. Think about those things. It's God's antidote. It's his replacement for us. Because you can't just stop something. When you stop a habit, you have to fill it with another habit. So we stop worrying by stepping into prayer with the Father. And then as his peace comes over us, simultaneously, we walk in peace and faith. We think on things that are true. I don't worry about worst case scenarios. Learn a lesson from King Saul, please. I've been reading about him in my, in my Bible reading. You know how many mistakes Saul made because he was constantly worried. And God says, if you would just listen to what I told you to do, you wouldn't be in this mess. I'm going to take the kingdom from you because you're not walking according to my ways. Think on God's word. Think on who he is. Focus on God's kingdom. These are the virtues of Jesus. Is Jesus not beautiful, excellent, good? Think on those things. If you're scrolling through social media all the time or through the world news and you're just inundated with all the mess of this world, I got news for you. Do you know God didn't make you so you could scroll through all the bad news all day? He made us for good news. The gospel redeems us. The broken world is not where we're going to live forever. He's making all things new, and it starts with me. So I get to walk in peace, even in my storm. He says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So I don't just think on these things. I live it out. I do it. He's speaking of personal discipline. When we make intentional choices to open up our lives to the peace of God. So what have we seen in Paul? We have seen, well, whether you're in prison or you're afraid for your life or you're called to evangelize guys that you're literally chained to and they can punch you in the mouth. Okay, I've learned from Paul that the God of peace will still be with me. Even there in the prison cell? And I know it's nerve-wracking when we share the gospel with somebody in North Sarasota. But are you chained to them? Could they have the right to just punch you in the face and suffer no consequences? That's Paul's context. God, forgive me when I get so worried about how they're going to respond. I forget that the God of peace is with me too. But I also see how we practice our lifestyle of following Jesus. It has to be done in Christian community. Just like we tend to worry about things on our own, we're also tempted to walk alone. And Paul says, you weren't created to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. You'll notice a pattern, sadly, in these news headlines and in the darkest of the dark things that are happening. People that go to those extremes and do those terrible things have been walking alone. They've been shut up in their room, 
making plans, watching things, listening to things alone. Paul says we need to learn from others in our journey of walking by faith. Things that you've heard. So you've heard God's word. You've heard the truth from somebody or, or you've seen it. So someone comes in here and they're bringing their burdens and their trials and they open up about it. And we say, man, thank you so much for sharing that. I know you could have kept it to yourself, but because you shared that, you encouraged me. And I want to pray for you. I want to help you. The things that we've learned. Are you in a position in your spiritual walk where you are open to receiving instruction from others in your spiritual walk? I've mentioned golf a few times before. Lacey and I are enjoying golf, especially when it's master's time. I know. We just, we enjoy it. We might take a little bit of a nap now and then. I'll, I'll admit, it's a slow game, but it's just fun to watch. And, man, they get they get in the sand trap, and, and the green is up there, you know, where the flag is. If you don't know golf, okay, green is where you want to hit the ball, and the hole is there. You want the ball to go in the hole. And so, so they're there. I'm a lefty. So they chip it up out of the sand. Oh, no, they're in the sand. How are they ever going to make it? They chip it out of the sand, and the ball goes in the hole. Those are some of the funnest shots to make. Why? Because they were in a terrible spot. They were in a terrible lie. How are they going to get out of it? Not only did they get out of it, they got the ball in the hole. So when I think of that in our spiritual lives, and Paul says you're called to practice these things, to repeat these things, to live out these things. How do those pros get to that point in their golf game? They practice. And they practice. But they don't practice alone. Do you know every single one of those professional golfers, unless there's an anomaly somewhere I'm not aware of, they all have swing coaches. They pay somebody to watch them swing a golf club and tell them how to do it better. You pay someone money for that? How, how many of you would pay somebody to come to your kitchen and watch you cook and say, no, you could do that better? No, that oven is 10 degrees too hot. Okay, like they're coaching you. I don't want that. Get out of my kitchen. This is my kitchen. I'm doing my, if I burn it, I burn it. Get out of the kitchen. These pros pay good money for someone to tell them, here's where you are swinging the wrong way. You're lifting your leg a little too far. Your wrist angle is off. You're holding the club head at the wrong angle. We need that in our Christian life. We should want that in our Christian life. You know, I, I, I need someone to mentor me. I need someone to disciple me. I, I need to be in small group on Wednesday so as I talk about what I'm struggling through, I can get counsel and encouragement from others. It's not always rebuke and, hey, stop worrying. No, it, it might just be encouragement. But if you go it alone, you'll never know if your swing is off. You play golf by yourself, you'll be out there hitting all day. But someone who's wiser and more experienced and more consistent in their Christian walk can say, hey, let me show you how to pray. Let me show you how to share Christ. Let me show you how to serve in the local church. Come on, just, just come, come, come and watch. And when we do that, our practice becomes more consistent, more healthy, more like Christ. Living Hope Church. This is an authentic community of people. We are for you. We love you. God is for you. He loves you. Are we willing to let people see us in the good times and the times when we tend to worry to encourage us 
through this difficult life. Because when we do, we see a full measure of joy. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And I, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know whether, you know, did your house catch on fire? Uh, did your bank account get emptied? Uh, you had some unexpected bills come up. Did you have to move and uproot something pretty dramatic in your life? Have you lost a, a loved one or family member or someone that was close to you and now they're not? Think with me for a moment. Why does God allow those things to happen? Okay, let's say my house catches on fire. Aren't there stories in the Bible that show that God is willing to go in the fire with us? And bring us out the other side without even a, a hint of smoke on us. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. Or your bank account is getting more empty than you want. Don't we worship a God who turned a little boy's lunch into a feast for thousands of people? Or maybe you had to move and uproot something in your life. Wasn't there a story about God calling Abraham to a land that was not his own? And he blessed him more than any other person on the face of the earth in those days. Huh. What about even losing a family member? You can find a comforting presence in your heavenly father. He is the loved one. He is your father. Trust him and walk with him. I'm going to ask Alexis to play. And here's what I'm going to do. I want to invite all of you to embrace the joy of Jesus in your daily life. Whatever it is. Are you dominated by anxiety? Give it to him. Give it to him right now. These steps are wide open. Wide open. Your bench, where you're at, wide open. The back is wide open. Seek his face. He is opening up his joy and his peace to you. He says, you just got to lay down your burden. Give it to him. In church, our focus for this year has been praying in everything. So what do we want to see God do? If we're going to stop worrying, we've got to fix our eyes on things that are true, things that are good, that are lovely, that are pure. Where does God want to take us? To the beautiful harvest? To the land of plenty? To where there's joy in the midst of our storm? We don't want to pray to be just the most prosperous, most incredible, most mind-blowing church in the region. But what if we were the church in the area that had the most peace? Because we chose. We're, just, we're not going to be anxious about anything. We're going to give it to the Lord. We're going to pray in everything. What would that do in your family and in this church? And when people come in, the burden that would come off their shoulders as well. I want to invite you. Give your burden to the Lord. Pray about what you want to see God do and seek his kingdom. And let's pray for the lost in our community, that they would know the peace of God that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus.